supposed to be like released at christmas time yeah but i hate tim allen i did <laughs> well, i was thinking of hocus pocus that's on disney plus okay now. okay, okay. I, I was just i was just like what does this have to do to hereditary you moved on to scary movies <laughs> okay. i mean you moved into now deeper scary movies i completely understand what you're saying but i'm like you know what this now. is this is important news that we need to talk about and discuss but yeah <laughs> i can't believe that disney is going back to tim allen that's very surprising I or, feel is like, t- or is Tim Allen out of money and going back to Disney? Well, well, that. I mean, ABC uh, Family did him well for quite some time. I don't feel like I can talk about Tim Allen without getting in territory that we, we don't want to talk about on this podcast right now. Accurate. <laughs> Fair enough. And hello, and welcome to Red Raccoon Radio, your source of tabletop gaming news in Bloomington, Illinois, and beyond. I'm your host, John Parrott, and with me today is the fantastic staff members of my friendly local game store, Red Raccoon Games. The people I've managed to lure into talking about games with me today are... Hey, this is Grant. This is Alexis. This is Jesse. That's right. We had a Just Jamie episode last week, uh, last time, and uh, this time I said, no, no more Jamie. We've heard enough. He's going to take some time off, think about what he's done, not that he's done anything (laughs) wrong. He has actually done a lot of stuff uh, in this last few days, which brings me to my first question. Uh, How was the store last week? The store itself? Right. With the groundbreaking, though, a little little spicy. There's a lot going on. A lot of stuff. For those of you that don't know, we are groundbreaking, or have had the groundbreaking for the new store, which is just a couple storefronts away. It's next Uh, door. It is literally (laughs) next door, but it's it's weird because it's not really next door once they're done. It's It's next next door door right now. It's next door right now, but there will be two stores between here and there by the time it's done because it's going to be multiple units. It is roughly 85 feet from our front door. And while I know this is a shameless plug for a store anyways, and so we really have no need to give him more airtime, I do want to say that I am always impressed that Jamie has such a devotion to Bloomington downtown. Like, not only is he buying a new building, but he's like, you know what, I'm going to put two new stores in the downtown area that are going to be nice and in a great location. And kudos to him for that. Theoretically speaking, someone will take over this building, so there'll be three new stores. Yes, that is true. It's exciting. But yes, um, so that was kind of the big news. All of the staff members were there. They were wearing ears. It was a thing. We don't need to go into more. Uh, But it was a really great time with a lot of great food from a lot of local places that Kelly Matthew, Jamie's wife, has been managed to to rustle up for us. There's there's been talk of uh, people suggesting that the ears become the new way to determine who is and is not an employee in the building. Because we all wear the same hoodies and Red Raccoon shirts and swag that we do sell to customers, uh, we've talked a few times about, like, hey, how do people tell who is who works here? And then when we got the earrings, or the earrings, the ears, it uh, it's like, well, none of the customers have these. And immediately I had customers trying to buy the ears off my head. What? How yeah. much do they offer you? Uh, we didn't get that far. <laughs> I was rushing, and I said, they're not for sale. And then I ran away. I appreciated that Jamie wore them the entire time, being the, yeah. the businessman that he is and talking to all of these other people that are... I feel like when you are over six feet like he is, what is he, 6'3"? I, I am almost 6'4". He is he is six and a half feet. Six and a half feet. <laughs> um, wait, you're taller than Jamie? 
No, Jamie's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Oh, 6'5". Six, Sorry, I'm I thought you said 6.5. Never mind. We'll look at the tapes yes, later. But. Yes, but I think when you're that tall, whatever you wear on your head doesn't really matter to you because... But there were pictures. Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> There's some very good pictures. Of the, the but in his right. mind, he's not thinking in picture mode. He's thinking, I'm a giant among <laughs> mortals. I don't need to worry about <laughs> yeah. how I look right now. But yes, all there's, right. Uh, there's one that's very fun with his like arm stretched out. Mm-hmm. That it's like it's like a mirror universe Gendo Ikari kind of look. <laughs> yeah. Like his his glasses are reflecting God. the light, but it's like a very positive instead of a very dour image. So that is what happened at the new store that is not open yet. That is still under construction and all yes. of that. What was what was going on in the store that's actually open right now? How is things going here? Um. Well. We did a lot of time preparing for that event. We are kind of caught up after FlatCon. Uh, FlatCon was a really great time. Um, We've got a lot of stuff that's on sale because when we brought things back from FlatCon, we went well. Let's put it over in our clearance and last chance area. So if you're somebody who comes to the store and you kind of look through that area, um, look every time you're in because things are rotating in and out of that space constantly. It's a little little special secret that uh, you hear if you're listening to the podcast. Um, there's more things on sale in the store than what can fit on that shelf right now. So uh, sometimes you might get a little surprise. Come in, ask questions, get answers. <laughs> well, speaking of FlatCon and how amazing it went and was and all of that jazz, uh, I did want to ask, did you guys have anything new on your table from FlatCon? Or has there just been something that you've been playing that made you totally forget that FlatCon sales were even going on? Uh, I played Ark Nova again last night That's and the night good, before. Right? <laughs> is this is this in real life or on your board game? Real arena? life. Oh wow! Yeah. Look at no, that. I haven't. It's not on board game arena. Oh, really? If it, you know, honestly, I don't know if that's one I would like to play on there. The bigger games are more fun mm-hmm. to play in person. But yeah, so that's that's five plays in total. It is now a nickel in my BG stats. <laughs> I had no idea that's how that worked, but yeah. I love that analogy. Yeah. Well, fives and dimes. I oh. guess it's a five. It's not a nickel, but it could be. Fives, dimes, quarters, centuries. They flip back and forth. Excuse me, what? <laughs> five? Centuries? Yeah. Oh, Azul's up there. Yeah, because it's like a five and dime kind of a... Yeah, they have Lutman's nickels. I am so I lost on what our analogies that... are now. No, it's so... it's a hundred, oh, you've played it over a hundred times. <laughs> yes, I was assuming that there was actually like, they give you a nickel icon if you've played oh, it five times. Oh, it's not an icon, but it's... Yeah, yeah. so it's... um. Because I think it's a thing that started on, um, well, BGG, it's on there, like, when you log your mm-hmm. plays. And so in BG stats, if you look at your stats, it's like, oh, things you've played at least five times are listed as a five, and then there's dimes, quarters, and centuries. See. And so you just didn't want to call it a Sacagawea dollar, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Right. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. that checks out. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, Ark Nova is Arc fantastic. Nova. Mm-hmm. I Probably my top game this year. Awesome. The, that and Merchant's Cove. They're, they're, they're both up there. Um, my friend's... Uh, copy of ISS oh, ISS Vanguard came in and uh, we got that on the table Friday after I got off work so Jerk. that was I'm that's waiting how's that, that? Uh, whew, that is a big boy of a game but it's the everything about it is super nice we we got it set up and we probably got halfway through it and it was about 2.30am and I was like I think I'm done but we're gonna set up and probably do it again maybe end of the sometime today or pick it up next week we took pictures of the board state so we can come back to it if we want to that is a game that i immediately tracked i followed i backed and have been eagerly awaiting Mm -hmm. i am so upset to hear that someone else in town has gotten it and i have not um did he get tracking codes on that 
you know? he got alerted that it was shipping Monday and it showed up Thursday. Oh, well, that's probably not good. I should probably check to make sure that I'm getting my copy. Anyways, it's a fantastic game from what I've seen. They've released a few how-to-play videos uh, through some different sources, and everyone is saying it's not really just a game. It's more of an experience mm-hmm. um, because there are game elements, there are things that you are doing, but the narrative and the story building and and the elements you kind of put into the game really are what kind of shows out. So Nice. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's kind of like Star Trek, and each player is not necessarily a member of the crew. They're more like the head of a department. Mm-hmm. So you are managing your crew members as they have to go to away missions and, and trying to manage things on the ship with the resources that you gather. Like uh, um, FTL. Yeah, very much that's so. That's actually probably yes. the best way to describe so it. So many hours put into FTL. I have never beat FTL. That's actually a pretty apt description. It was, uh, Alexis is looking like what? Because she's the what? Not sci-fi computer nerd here. So FTL was a, um, uh, basically a roguelike, like a procedurally generated, mm-hmm. uh, starship survival, like management thing where you'd sur- put your crew in different spots, go through different, uh, difficulties as you're trying to make your way across the galaxy. Very fun game, but definitely in that roguelike sense, one that you are not going to finish most of the time. Okay. I can also tell you that in true star trek fashion you will have members die but the nice thing is when you have a crew member die you actually get you learn from your mistakes mm-hmm. and you're able to get different boons in the game mm-hmm. for not for killing them but if they die it's not just it's the dramatic sacrifice kind of yeah. thing exactly. that's cool exactly right so i hope to have more about that seeing how i don't have my copy of it well that's not my uh, i'm just looking at you grant what are you feeling guilty about it is that what Did it is you no. steal john's copy is that what's going on this yeah, makes fr- so much have sense have friends that get it before you i'm trying to remember now if we Backed it as the store or not? I don't I believe so. I asked. We got Jamie. something in the mail that was like a little box with. I haven't even opened it because it came in the middle of the FlatCon wildness. Is um, it? It could be little robots because the, there's little dice holders that are little robots mm-hmm. that are extremely adorable. Uh, but on my table, I I have prepped for a game, so I am diving back into Arkham Horror, the living card okay. game. Fun. Um, I've had to assemble the decks, which is with as many cards as there are and everything that's going on and that you can do is probably as long mm-hmm. as actually playing the game is just mm-hmm. assembling your own deck. Uh, and I assemble two per game. So uh, it, it definitely was an experience. I am playing as Lily Chin, a martial artist who is also the chosen one, and Joe Diamond, who is a private detective and hunts for clues. And I'm very excited to probably start that uh, when we're done podcasting. Are you playing it solo? Yes. Nice. Right on. I, um, let's see, at FlatCon, I managed to get Zolkin, uh, Mayan Calendar, actually on the table physically. It's something I played on BGA a number of times and then um, got a physical copy. First game that I've done a folded space insert for. Mm. And uh, it was good, the folded space insert absolutely did its job by making setup take literally like 10 minutes and tear down like five um so highly highly recommend those it was uh actually playing it was pretty smooth there were a couple of rules that we mixed up because we were kind of speed playing a little bit to get done before uh the hall closed but also playing with two people who never played before and playing on a bga there were some things i was used to the computer automating that i didn't have really internalized for like uh resources and stuff however um, really fun game. The gears felt really cool, and it really made me appreciate how much, because Zulkin is a worker placement game that has um, multiple interlocking gears, and when you place a worker on one, 
at the end of the round, the gear advances one spoke and that advances all your workers. So it's kind of cooking them and deciding when you're going to um, activate one for a better. I was just thinking, I wonder if that's a comparison to like why I like Arc Nova so much because it has the actions and you let them mm-hmm. build up. Yeah, I like Gutenberg for that same reason. It's got that tactile gear use. Yeah, I, and that that's uh, I. It's interesting because when I played Arc Nova, it made me think of Crusaders because mm-hmm. Crusaders has the little Moncala Rondell mm-hmm. thing, um, and then I can see where Arc Nova and, and uh, Zulkin would kind of make sense there too. So yeah, you. But the fact that in a lot of worker placement games, you have that upkeep phase of okay, everybody pick up all your workers, and we're all kind of grabbing your stuff. There isn't any of that because you're picking them up or placing them all the time, and they automatically move where they need to go. So mm-hmm. it just made it a very efficient game. Um, so that was very fun. And then I feel like I'm forgetting something that I actually did play since then. Um, but I know I've been doing a lot of reading because someone brought a copy of um, Hasbro's Battle Cry in on our used shelf, and I ignored it for a while because I'm not really into the Civil War theme. But... I really like commands and colors games. I'm not good at them. I literally never win them. But I was like, well... So, it's the kind of game I haven't played quite a while. Like, uh, Battles for Westeros or Battle Lore, um, that kind of a thing. So, I've, I've been playing Memoir 44 a little bit on BGA, and that's been fun. So, you've finally fallen to the siren's call of historical gaming. Well... Completely and utterly. Dead games. Uh, it, in a way, but not. Like, I mean, the thing is that... so. Back before I started to get more into like Euro type games and whatnot, I did tend to like skirmish. I still enjoy skirmish war game type stuff on the lighter end. And uh, so Battles for Westeros, obviously, I, I discovered that back in 2012. Um, and went, this is really cool. There's a lot going on. But it's such a fiddly game to set up that I don't get it on the table very often. And I'd been aware of like Memoir 44 for a while. Um, but uh, I like the. There's, there's an elegantness to the commands and colors, like card and dice based wargaming system that I really enjoy. But uh, it, you have to have someone else who wants to play that kind of a game. <laughs> so, Jesse, at what point are you just going to become a Warhammer guy? We well, see it I, in the cards. You, you're playing it out in front of us. I mean, I already have an Age of Sigmar army and 40k minis that I don't play with. And I, my, my big number one, I won't get anybody to play this with me, like, is the Judge Dread minis game from Warlord. I was so excited to get it. It's really neat little system. And I was like, well, cool. No one's ever going to play this because I'm the only person I know who actually likes Judge Dread that, well, is within a gaming radius. Um, now, that said, the reason that I haven't went and bought multiple $100 games I'm not going to play uh, with a historical theme is because Command & Color Ancients is primarily Roman-themed. And if I hear Ancients, I really want it to be Mesopotamia. And uh, that's, so that's where I'm... You're such a hardcore history guy. It, He's speaking my language right now. I'm fine with all this. amazing. Uh, only until then you start to have to get into more specific, like, eras and stuff, and then I get really wishy-washy, but... <laughs> Now, many of you who have listened to podcasts multiple times, I said, John, he just said that he didn't have anyone to play a game with. Isn't the time where you jump in and say, hey, you can always you know, give me a call? It's funny because I remember saying, hey, John, will you be a flat con? That's exactly where I was going. And, uh, and, and, and you were like, well, maybe. And I was like, cool. Then uh, I think, you know, yeah. we'll have a few games. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we'll play something like that we've both played, like Teo Teo Con. Or maybe I'll bring Tabanusi, and you went, mm, that sounds painful. Oh, I might be there. Yeah. And, uh, John, I'm sorry. I, I have this, I have this like, blank it. spot in my memory. Did not make it. That did not happen. Yeah. That 
is true. So I'm afraid I might have to retire this joke, <laughs> uh, which is heartbreaking to me. Um, but good news is with my broken heart, there are going to be ways that I can soothe it. And one of them is one of the news topics that we're bringing up today. Ladies and gentlemen, I came into Red Raccoon Games, as I often do, because I'm somewhat addicted to this place. And also I work here to time to time. And uh, Alexa stops me in the basement. And she looks at me. And she says, have you, have you heard the news, John? And I scour my brain. What news would Alexis and I share that obviously I know? Because, guys, I know everything. Like, I'm plugged in. I'm always checking Google News. I've got, uh, for this podcast, I'm always checking all of these websites. I was for shocked the best that articles. you hadn't heard it yet. My jaw was befuddled as it dropped. Yeah. As you delivered the news unto me that. Season three of Cthulhu Death May Die has been announced. Yay. Woohoo! Woo-hoo. Now, Alexis, as the person here that probably has the least amount of gaming experience, and that's not a, that's not a you're catching up, sure. obviously. Um, we just got age on you. That's not your yeah. fault. Um, how would you best describe what makes Cthulhu Death May Die so exciting to hear that there's a season three coming? So that's an interesting question, <laughs> because it was in my top five for a long time, and now I haven't played it in so long, which is very sad. Um, because people growing. don't yeah. want to, people don't want to play it necessarily. Mean game, mean. <laughs> but mean um, game. I don't know. There's a lot to it, and I think that's why I liked it so much at first. But it's a co-op game, and you go through. There's so there's two seasons, but each season has multiple episodes. And now there's more episodes and more elder ones. And I mean, I feel like you can play it campaign style. I haven't, oh. but to just play through all of it. And you could just imagine, like, it's, it's its own little story. It's little chapters in a book. And just oh, yeah. play it. Each scenario has, you know, these weird and wild elements. That if you haven't played before, you're not sure where it's going on. And the mix and match monster process always makes it just a brand new game every time. Mm-hmm. Right. Plus, the split of the episode always makes things interesting. Yes. Because each episode, there's a there's a before mechanic, and gotcha. then after mm. the Elder One is summoned, there's an yes. after mechanic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, again, is just... It, the game was designed by Eric M. Lang, and... Uh, I Praise be unto him. Thank you. Praise <laughs> be unto him. Um, who, actually, this is the last game that I feel like he's really had a hand in that I've absolutely loved. I, I've played some of his other games. He did Marvel United, mm-hmm. which is okay. Uh, <laughs> he did... Um, what are some other? Oh, he did the Bloodborne game, I believe. Okay. That, that was sounds right. right. Yes, um, but some of them have just been a little lackluster. Even though my wife and I have both like gone after these games before, and anytime we see his name, we just pick it up, even if we don't know the context. Uh, the other person I was thinking of was Rob Davua, I believe, and he was the co-designer of Pandemic Legacy season yeah. one. Oh, so I mean, these are two powerhouses, and the thing is. About three months after Cthulhu Death May Die came out, Eric M. Lang said, hey, I'm done working on big games like this. I'm going to work on smaller games. I'm going to work more on kid-friendly games. I want to expand out. And I totally support him in wanting to you know, further his career in different ways. Um, but now I question, this new Season 3 is a complete standalone. You don't need the past game to play it. That's interesting. Well, I'm, I think part of that is because there's just not that many out there. Like, I... I, it's kind of becoming a harder and harder We game did to just find. get a restock. This is a shameless plug. We got a restock. We have like six copies in the store unless some have sold and season two is on its way also. I believe Anna picked up one of those. 
photos. Yes, for her she did. Game. Yes, yeah. they did have an extended time between print runs. Yeah, yeah, and which well, they might be random up now. A lot of game in a box, so. I I really I think I've played the first two episodes, maybe three, because I've played them multiple times with new people because I want to start at the beginning with someone new, so I've played the first episode, you know say five times Mm -hmm. i know that we've talked a couple of times about getting on the table this month and usually it's just been the undertaking of well get a set up and learn to play Mm -hmm. and everything and hopefully now with the groundbreaking behind us there's a little bit more headspace maybe because i haven't played it before and i really like to try it it's it right up your alley as a game i think jesse yes absolutely and for many people i think as long as you go into it knowing that it's going to be hard anytime you put cthulhu on a game Mm -hmm. it should be hard uh, but it's very exciting because this is one of the few Cthulhu games where I don't feel like you have to be cautious and passive. Oh, yeah. You are even rewarded for being reckless and pushy in this game. Mm-hmm. And it, it just brings such a different flair. There's a character named Rasputin who he can die in the game and it's okay. And I cannot th- tell you a better character to give a new player than saying, hey, you can play this guy. If you mess up, that's fine. You're going to have another chance. You get an extra life. Yeah. And there's so few games where that type of forgiveness is given. But some other interesting news came out at the same time that uh, this news was coming out. The Kickstarter for the new Cthulhu game is coming out on uh, October 26th. 26th or 22nd? My brain can't. That that would be yesterday. Then then it's the 26th. Okay. (laughs) And shameless plug again, if that's something that interests you. Uh, like pretty much every Simon Kickstarter, the store will be backing it. Simon is, as Kickstarters go, one of the more consistent companies that mm-hmm. we have been able to work with over time. So I can say pretty confidently that uh, we should be backing that through the store. So shortly after this announcement, Simon came online and said, like, hey, we're going to do a live stream. We've got something to show you guys. It's really cool. And everyone got really excited. And we thought, ooh, is it going to be actually like showing more of Cthulhu Death May Die? Or are we going to see like what the Kickstarter is? Because the last, the first Kickstarter, you had like a three-foot-tall statue that came with it. So we were expecting, wow, this is going to be some stuff. And they threw us for a left field. And I'm wanting to use language, which is not <laughs> appropriate. Uh, they came out and said, hey, guys we know that you love a lot of our games all of the zombie sides which i think there are four you love onk you love cthulhu death may die which Ooh, is not love a, me some onk <laughs> it's it's a cthulhu death may die is not a game that they've really like put into their higher echelon right. before um and then also rising sun mm-hmm. and they said hey uh guess what we're releasing content for all of those games yeah. in the form of iron maiden eddie so, now, I, I just, as you were saying that, realized that this was not only a Zombicide yeah. product, because for Zombicide, they've been doing a lot of IP crossover things yep. lately. They did, mm-hmm. like, the, tra- um, the not Transformers, but Yet. the, uh, yeah, they've done the, the Marvel uh, Zombies one, they did Ghostbusters, and Thundercats. they did Thundercats, um, and so I was like, oh, well, Iron Maiden, yeah, Eddie ends up on a lot of things, in fact, it's surprising I haven't seen him on a board game more recently, so um, I wasn't super surprised when I saw Zombicide with Eddie. But then I just realized this actually is also usable in Ankh and Cthulhu, Death May Die, and Rising Sun and Massive Darkness. And Massive Darkness, Eddie, actually sounds pretty fun. Yes. Because me and John were talking about it a little earlier. It, it seems like it's multiple Eddie minis for mm-hmm. multiple different games, depending oh, yeah. on what you needed. So. so there's doing a little bit more research, there's actually three packs. You can buy them all in one, uh, but each pack caters to specific games. 
but the minis, I believe from what I'm reading, can be reused for different games. So the Eddie that, that you use inside of Cthulhu Met the Death May Die might also work inside of the zombie side, which I find to be an interesting trend that I've been noticing in games lately. And I'm wondering if it's a cost-effective measure of, I'm going to print a mini, but I'm not going to have it limited to just one game. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw it actually with the Hanna-Barbera games that just mm -hmm. came out with Scooby-Doo and Wacky Races. There was a Dastardly and Muttley yes. pack mm -hmm. that could be played for both. And uh, huh, what do, that was also a Simon product. Interesting, isn't it? So I'm, I'm seeing this new trend that we're kind of expressing where we, we've all known that production has been terrible as of late, especially in the shipping category. Uh, and people are just demanding more and more minis for their games. Is this, and I asked the panel here, a smart move to try and say, you know what, I'm going to have one mini that I'm going to produce. It's going to work for three games. And then maybe that's also going to say, you might want to buy some other games so you can play with this many. Yeah. I mean, I was I was going to say yes and then offer up that. Oh, could, sorry. No, no, no. Went a little too far there. That's okay. I mean, yeah, because if I got it for Zombicide, or not Zombicide, Death May Die, then maybe I'd be like, well, I played Zombicide. It was fun. Let me get Zombicide now. Yeah. I don't foresee that happening for me personally, but I think that that is something I mean, that could happen. I mean, Eddie also being in Red Sun tickles me in a way that just I can't quite describe. Yeah, <laughs> that's a unique one. Um, but yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. It's a good cross-promotion. Um, uh, AEG did that with Dead Reckoning, where they had the promos for a bunch of other games that were in that Kickstarter. And uh, I, I think that does get some cross-pollination and drove out demand for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I guess my question is, is there any downsides? Would you be upset about getting content for a game that you don't own, that you now have to decide, am I going to store this somewhere or am I just going to throw it away? I think the only thing that would upset me is if I was paying more for the product strictly because it was also worked with another game. Mm. But if I was going to pay the same price for just the Death May Die version and it happens to have something else, I wouldn't care. Yeah. If I was paying double and half of that is for a game I wouldn't play, then yes. The pricing does feel comparable to what I would expect if it was just for a single game. That's yeah. Because if you were to have a, anything come out for, God, for any game that we get, and it goes, oh, it's good for actually these 10 other products, but it's like you have to pay a small tax, let's say, per game that it's attached to, I feel that's a little cheatery on the company side it's like yeah yeah but this is literally at no cost to you the game's it's already functional for all of your stuff you're just hey say here's the card for it yeah. so just it's good cross-pollination so word of mouth and sometimes just because you have the product will make people go "Ooh, it worked here let's try it there so i think it's smart going forward i want to see a lot more weird stuff come in eddie's pretty weird off the top but eh. i was surprised when they did batman uh the Batman that laughs. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. for zombie side. Um, that was um, uh, I, I just, what, what metal Bat dark dark knights metal. Knight metals, dark yeah. dark knights yeah. metal. Yeah, and dark knights heavy metal to get to the other. Yeah, one. yeah, that was kind of surprising. Um, looked really cool. Well, while we're talking about how companies try and make money <laughs> and if that's appropriate, we see it a lot in the game industry where they try and make some decisions that are going to benefit them and. I'm sure that it's always a constant weight of how much do we give the buyer 
for the value that they're putting into the cost for us. Mm-hmm. One of the companies that I don't know always ask that question anymore is Magic the Gathering, because they know they have a rapid loyal fan base that will complain and still buy the decks, and that is pretty evident in the latest release of the Warhammer 40k decks. Uh, now, we've talked about it before on the podcast, and from what I understood, these things were flying off the shelves because it was actually a good deck. Yeah, so the thing of it was, is when they were announced, a lot of the Magic community went, that's neat, but why though? And then, so there wasn't a lot of buzz around it at first. It was like, okay, cool, Magic's doing their universes thing, and they're going to be adding a whole bunch of these new properties to throw into Commander, throw into different things. But it was also releasing around the same time as Infinity, so most people were already clamoring for the next unset and then they started doing spoilers for these decks and they went off the rails with some of the things they were doing they got support on things making weird fun stuff that and these decks which are a little pricier than the standard commander deck at least for the regular versions were well worth the price going in because there were hard reprints of cards we hadn't seen in 15 years just thrown in there there were just phenomenally weird cards that are super fun, and they're having played all of them now. The they're just phenomenally weird, and it gives me a lot of interesting hope going into the next cycle of them because we have Lord of the Rings coming quarter one of next year, but that's a full commander cycle and set. Doctor Who before the summer. Transformers. Transformers will be in Brothers War. There's going to be Transformers cards in Brothers War, but I believe that there's a full Transformers like deck cycle or something. Something coming. I just yeah. Then followed behind after that is Final Fantasy and uh, Assassin's Creed. And there's a there's a thought that I want to put a pin in real quick about games with crossover IP that I think Graham might have something um, interesting to add about. But uh, I would like to add on so from the the back side of it right the mm-hmm. the retail like how the sausage is made side um with this you know like grant said there were so many products coming out originally they were not supposed to come out on the same day but because of delays the 40k decks and the infinity came out on literally the same day um we've had at least one magic release every month uh for most of this year and we had a few that didn't hit that well like Baldur's gate will had a very mixed re- response um New Capenna earlier this year had a very mixed response, and uh, and there was another one more recently that was uh, kind of a rough hit um, just before after Baldur's Gate. Oh, um, brain bad at things. Uh, Dominar United. That one went did okay. Dominar United did okay, but there was there was something else right. Be, but well, I don't. And we had um we had a. a, a a fancy like master set come out too right oh yeah uh, so so it's just been a very heavy time where we we made some active decisions about that we're like we don't want to be swimming in more product we can't if this is another Baldur's gate where we thought it was going to be super hot because adventures forgotten realms was super hot um for us at least with the audience we cultivate um we didn't want to be swimming in product so like grant said coming in we asked people we asked our commander community a lot of our magic players and everyone said we don't know what the cards look like yet it, they could be full of trash, you know? It could be a cheap cash-in of, we're gonna use some stock art from 40, 40K, print really underwhelming decks, oh. hoping to get 40K players to play Magic, and no All one All new cares. custom art, by the way. Right. All of it's immaculate. It's very, very <laughs> cool. Um, and so we went super light. We went super, super light, and then they started doing the spoilers, and suddenly it just exploded. Yeah. And 
it's it's a situation where could we have sold more if we went harder? Sure. But I, I'm just glad that it seems like people are having a good time. And interestingly, I am seeing a lot of people who normally don't know anything about 40K who play Magic that are actually becoming very interested in, like, 40K lore. Oh, yeah. And I think that's kind of neat. So it seems like yeah. it's been good. Alexis, had, you look like I, you had a... Well, yeah. I was just going to say when we were talking about how there was Infinity at the same time and all these other sets, mm-hmm. I, I have a chart here in front of me that I won't go over all of it, but it shows all of the sets that came out in the last 30 years since Magic started. And we had 25 regular sets, decks, whatever. And, f- what, 40, 40-something 40 secret layers in one year. Yeah. That's over 60 different Magic products. And so it's so hard to judge what is going to be good and mm-hmm. what isn't and what people are going to want and what yeah. they won't. And when they're all coming out at once, then that makes the customers have to go, well, which one do I want to spend my money on? Yeah, mm-hmm. And that's a great question because this actually costs, from what I understand, a little bit more than normal. Yeah. yeah. So if we go to Dice Breakers, there's an article from uh, Jason Coles that does a fantastic job, and I'll quote this. Uh, we're going to get one big complaint out of the way early, the price. Each of the Warhammer 40K decks will set you back around 60 pounds. Now, of course, this is overseas, so please bear with me, uh, which means you'll be shelling out 240 pounds if you want all of them assuming you can't find a deal. That's around double what you expect to pay for a commander deck to cost at launch, and it gets worse. Because Wizard of the Coast absolutely refuses to not go all in on capitalism, there are also collector's editions with each of these decks, which will set you back between 100 and 200 pounds each. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we just had to do adjustments on all of ours to for the collectors, but I think we're all out of them now. I'm, I'm not sure where we are right now, but I know that um, at release we were at like 65 bucks on the regular decks, and then mm. the collectors were... Like 170 um, Something like that. Roughly yeah. roughly double plus. And yeah, they 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 went out on, hey, let's make these extra expensive. And people have been talking about the price, and um, I mean, it's what I would expect for you have a licensing occurring between two companies that go pretty hard when it comes to the value of their product and what they charge for their IP, so... Mm. I guess uh, if it makes any Magic players think about getting into 40K, it gives them a little bit of a taste of what to expect. <laughs> well, the, yeah, there's that. But it's also, I've had Magic players who got the decks who are just like, man, this guy's cool. And I'm like, they're like, what's he about? I'm like, I do not have the physical time to explain to you everything about Mayroon's Calgar. They're like, he's really cool. I'm like, there's like 13 books. Go to Barnes & Noble, take some time. I'm, I don't have the time or the patience. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I'm glad that it went well, and like Alexa said, there's just there's so many products, and I think that's the the thing that Wizards has been saying as far as their their goal is. They're like, we're not trying to make every product for every player. We're intentionally making products that are going to appeal to a subsection of who plays, hoping each of them are going to buy deeper. And I don't know how much they have considered that where they were previously. It was some sets will do better than others, but everyone's buying each product if they play. And now it's much more of a guessing game. And the hard thing is that stores have to decide where to allocate those resources. Um, yay. Yeah. It's just somebody got to kind of filter the your playership a little bit and see what they're down on. But it's also got your finger on the pulse of what's being shown and know what what community that you have in your store is going to yeah. want to play. If you got a lot of commander players, if it's a good commander set, probably want to go decent in on it. If it's but you well, don't know whether it is until yeah until right and then you've already had to put your numbers in oh yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's a hard it's a hard thing to do now grant jesse 
we can't see into the future. So we never know what magic is going to do well. You didn't include me in that. Can I see into the future? Yes, I believe you can, I Alexis. Think so. Because our next article... Phenomenal segue. Thank you. Oh, it's no. really, you know, <laughs> as I always tell Jamie, it's so helpful when you point out that I made a good segue because it doesn't ruin the segue whatsoever. Absolutely so thank you so much for that. Uh, but I, I say that, Alexis, you might be an oracle of Red Maybe. Raccoon. Because... Elden Ring has gotten a little bit more information out about the upcoming Kickstarter. And we've talked on this podcast before. And Alexis, you came to me and said, I know nothing of Elden Ring. I know a little bit from what I've seen on TikToks and videos like that. But you have never played it, had no interest in it. And then you made some predictions about it that you thought would be super cool. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's really good. I wish that that would happen, assuming that it wasn't. So far from what we've revealed about the upcoming Kickstarter, you have been spot on. Uh, the character, the, the map itself is going to be kind of a, we're, we're still waiting to see the actual game pieces, but it's going to be open world. And that's something that they really focused on and something that you had really hoped that the game would actually do, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, and therefore, I look to you, in the future, do you think that Elden Ring will be a successful game? Use your Oracle skills and tell us. Oh man, that's a... That's a loaded question. That it is. I hope that it's more successful than any of the other Soulsborne board games. That is fair. Uh, and I do say that this is coming from Steamforge Games. Mm-hmm. They are the people that made the uh, Dark Souls board game, as well as the latest RPG that just came out. Uh, I believe that they've also worked on... Monster Hunter. Uh, Monster mm-hmm. Hunter as well. And there was one last one that the I was Devil May Cry. Devil May Cry. Devil May Cry. That's what I was looking for. And so those games have i've never heard bad things about them oh, the monster hunter one i think is pre-launch i think it's supposed to be hopefully getting to people's doorsteps and stuff before the end of the year big air quotes there i feel like that's been a long time yeah but absolutely i i've got thoughts on all this so i'm i'm holding them <laughs> until it's my turn <laughs> i will pass the ball to you jesse tell us your thoughts so I think that what Alexa said about the um, the success compared to the other Soulsborne-based games, right? Um, they tend to be things that ongoing, it's a mixed bag, um, but some of it depends on the producer of each game. So first off, there was the Dark Souls game, and the Dark Souls game is very integral to uh, coloring my expectations for this game because the Dark Souls game was either the first Kickstarter that Steamforge did or one of their first. And there's a big old cloud of it that hangs over because it took them like four years or so to manage to get everything out for it. And because of the way it was handled, there was just a, there was a lot of bad blood that kind of built up between Steamforge and some retailers uh, with its delays and basically how much money was tied up in it for so long. Um, as far as the game itself, because of what happened with it, we didn't really restock it, but I also haven't had too many people ask for it. Um, and then the Dark Souls card game, or no, I'm sorry, the Bloodborne card game, which I think was a Simon product. The board game? No, the, the Bloodborne card it game. It was a card game? Yes, it came out in like 2016 or 17. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That one was a little bit of a sleeper hit, but it sold pretty well. Uh, and it was affordable, and it was like 40 bucks, right? right. Um, now, the Bloodborne board game, that came from Simon. That's an Eric Lang joint. And that one I'd heard pretty good things about as well. Um, 
but it's one of those where big big splash at the beginning still sell a base game here and there but i don't see a whole lot of people asking for the expansions i think it's just a lot of these are they're very intense games that someone some of the people who buy them are people who already play a lot of board games and are like yeah and then maybe they play it a bunch and maybe it shelf of shames like it happens to all of us and then sometimes it's people who don't play a lot of board games they go i love that video game absolutely gonna buy it and then it's a it's a hurdle maybe i don't know those are my guesses um this looks neat and i was thinking about it's like inevitably they're going to do an elden ring board game how would that translate well to capture the feel of the game and the design elements that they're mentioning here with the um the open world map with the modular board uh revisiting areas giving you new things the card-based um mechanics for both combat and for crafting definitely sound like they will um get the feel of the video game mm -hmm. however because of the debacles that have happened in the past with uh um kickstarter and steamforge and retailers and how that was handled uh steamforge doesn't offer retailer level kickstarter access anymore um that conversation got kind of shut off and uh so this probably isn't one that we're going to have in store um but it looks i'm very interested in it it sounds neat reminds me i need to get back to playing elden ring which shout out to grant for buying the elden ring earlier this year when i thought it looked neat but didn't want to throw down 60 bucks on it um well yeah, yeah. even going off that i think regardless of any past, you know, Steamforge screw-ups and the general bog that can be Kickstarter, mm. I think it might have a little bit more palatability in just kind of a general audience because Elden Ring had more palatability mm -hmm. comparison to, say, Bloodborne or right. Dark Souls, and I think that might kind of endear it to more people because more people played that game than mm -hmm. any of the other previous ones. It was it, more accessible for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was far more accessible. They did a lot of lifestyle changes game-wise, so I think if they kind of... It'd be a hard translation, but if they find a way to do that board game style, I think we got a nice way to do it. And I'm just throwing it out there because I know this will make you and me happy. If they're going to do a board game, I demand, demand a uh, Berserk expansion so we can pay homage the way we need to. Yeah, it would be very... It definitely needs to have uh, Berserk references thrown in there um, as sufficiently as uh, the game deserves, since uh, obviously the um, designer for the the Soul series, whose name is escaping right now, uh, it's uh, not uh, good lord. It'll come to me. Um, it's that the guy. same name, Miyazaki, right? Yeah, yeah, Miyazaki. Yeah, yeah, because I remember because I'm Ken, like, wait, Kenshiro, right? Kenshiro Miyazaki. It's like different Miyazaki. Uh, the guy who designs the Soulsborne games is a huge fan of um, Kentaro Miura's Berserk manga. And so there's a lot of references, and um, Kentaro Miura passed away earlier this year, and you can definitely see that, or last year, I guess it was, you can definitely see that um, Elden Ring is extremely a love letter to that series and its style. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see how it goes. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an added element to what you were talking about, Jesse. I've been trying to put it into words, and I'm going to look to Alexis a little on this one. Okay. Because we're going to talk about Cthulhu Death May Die, which you have experience right. with. Do you ever feel like in Cthulhu Death May Die, as a person that's played that first one, mm -hmm. that first mission multiple times, do you ever feel like you know what to expect? Even though you've played the scenario, do you ever feel like you, no. you're fully prepared? No, because the characters change it, the, the amount of people you're playing with change it if you use a different elder one. Like even though the scenario is the same, the way that it's played is different every time. 
Exactly. And that is one of the reasons why it holds such high regard yeah. in my life as well, as, as it seems, even though it's maybe fallen out of your top five, which breaks oh. my heart. I mean, you know, Always we just got to play it together, John, and then... <laughs> It sounds like it's going to happen at the store sometime, and maybe I'll show up for this one. Who knows? Okay. Uh, I won't snub the invite. But, Jesse, going back to what you're saying, you know, you're saying people might buy the base game, but they're not coming in looking for the expansions. And I wonder if that's partly because the people that are probably playing this game are fans of the game. They have played these levels. They have fought these monsters. And so there is that novelty of, hey... I know this. Like, I recognize this. Oh, I, th- there's this in the game. That's awesome. Oh, we're fighting that creature? That's great. And then you're like, oh, this is just the game. Okay. All right. And and then after you get through maybe the first few missions, the there's no sense of exploration as you play anymore. I could see that. I could definitely see that. And mm. I mean, I think part of it is the release structure, right? And so I mentioned before that the Dark Souls campaign was a debacle. And to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, um, part of that is that this was in the earlier days of big Kickstarter games, mm. right? And it was in the days of the retailers are going to be putting all their money up front like everybody else. Whereas now there's kind of arrangements of deposits and paying closer to fulfillment, things like that. Um, and they basically went, here's an entire life cycle of a game, and we're going to make this all, the Kickstarter all at once. And a few companies fell into that mistake at that time. Um, the 7th Seed Kickstarter, uh, which I, I backed myself, uh, also fell into that mistake of, let's announce our entire product line as part of this Kickstarter campaign. And so I think that that gives you an all or nothing of people who go, I want everything, Right, that's we saw that with Rising Sun, where mm-hmm. people went there are mechanical things I can't get after the Kickstarter. I don't, I'm not going to buy the game if I can't get everything. On the other hand, you have something like Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid. Yeah, go ahead and take the the eraser board and scratch off zero podcasts since <laughs> Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid was <laughs> mentioned. mentioned. Yep. Um, Talk your issue. It's good. So Power Rangers Heroes of the Grid, big campaign for its first Kickstarter. It had some exclusive things there, but what they have done is. They have just continued to go every once or twice a year. We release a new, hey, here's a new set of things up for pre-order. A uh, new base, like, you know, big, big box expansion, a couple small boxes. And that has made it to where it's more of a trickle, because, like, I don't play the game often enough to really justify the fact that I bought everything for it. Yep. But every time something gets announced, whether it's something I'm super excited for or something I'm like, oh, yeah, that series is okay, too. I get it because I'm a completionist. If that was all done at the very front, it would have been overwhelming and I wouldn't have ended up doing it. Agreed. So I think that that model is something that these companies could look to doing more. Now, at the same time, it depends on your licensing, right? Like Renegade Renegade has, has structured this in a way to where they have a complete product at any given release cycle period that they can go, well, if Hasbro doesn't renew this IP contract with us, we're fine. I can imagine Simon going, let's get all the stuff out there at the front because, well, one, it keeps working. And Steam Forge the same way. And two, if they don't have it in production and they lose the IP, then, you know, those, mm-hmm. there's contractual things there to, right. to, for them taking into consideration, I'm sure. So I suppose the question we can kind of tie this back into what Watsi's doing with their Universes Beyond thing, where they're, because we're talking these, uh, some of these Universes Beyond Commander decks and sets they've announced, they're not going to be playable till the you know quarter four of 2023 beginning of 2024 and it just seems a long way out to let us know hey final fantasy decks are coming i'm like that's cool but 
it's because it's not really telling us it's telling us what's coming but Mm -hmm. not putting all the product out in front because we don't really know how good they're going to be until Um, we see stuff so yeah so it's weird because they're separating it between what a kickstarter game is and what an actual like full production house does so i just it's just i find it weird that they would make that announcement so far ahead for it's it's i kind of count it's the hype it's yeah, other, counting yeah. chickens, I feel, but at the same time, I know that Final Fantasy will sell products, so I'm not worried about it on that front. It's more like, it you just know, feels premature. Well, I understand that, and I mean, it kind of pulls us back to the other thing, but I did say I had a pin that I wanted to yeah. talk to you about, which is that, for that, I mean, the I, from a very cynical level, the contract where they can use and announce the IP and everything is marketing, and so as soon as they can start using that marketing, they should, even mm-hmm. if they don't have the product ready yet, right? right? Um, so I would say that's good. It seem, it's very different. I would say apples and oranges between the CCG model and the board game Kickstarter thing. Mm-hmm. You make a good point in that, to a degree, both of these are speculation of, well, I might enjoy how the Final Fantasy decks play, just like I might enjoy this board game adaptation of a video game that I liked, but I don't actually know until I play it. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, I was thinking about it uh, with what Magic has been doing with the Universes Beyond thing. Reminds me of things that I've seen with... Um, so, like, Weiss Schwartz is a CCG that is all adaptations of different anime. Um, Cardfight Vanguard is an original IP card game, like Yu-Gi-Oh! or however, but they've started to do these IP crossover things more, too, to where it feels like it's trying to basically be also a Weiss Schwartz. Yeah. And so I'm seeing that more and more with card games where they're doing the quote-unquote collaborations, and maybe it's because, hey, it works for Gashapon games on your phone, right? So. Yeah. Speaking of crossovers, yeah. uh, oftentimes we have these elements of we want to play a game, but we can't get the rights. So let's actually just build the game around a similar theme. Mm-hmm. This happens sometimes in board games, um, but oftentimes it happens more in RPGs. Monster Hearts is an example of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, almost, or Charmed. Uh, we have, there's, there's so many good examples that are all falling to my brain. Uh, City of Mist is a good example of kind of that noir with superpowers, which mm-hmm. we've kind of seen in some of the CW shows that have come out. Um, but there's one that, and I know, Jesse, you've been pretty silent this whole entire podcast. So, um, <laughs> you, you, you transitioned away from me just to transition back to me, which is, <laughs> maybe it'll wasn't keep it. a good one, John. No, I know, I know, I know, I know, I can feel it. Yeah, the you, had, you had to there. do a whole thing about wearing a mask and being on a motorcycle. That, exactly. That would have been a long way around, but it would have been a lot funner. But from uh, Matt Jarvis at Dicebreaker, he did a a beautiful write-up about a new RPG coming out called Convictor Drive. And, Jesse, what is Convictor Drive based on? So, Convictor Drive is a Japanese tabletop RPG that's uh, got a Kickstarter about to launch, just launched. Mm -hmm. And um, it is influenced by, like, transformation or henshin hero type stories like Kamen Rider... Um, Power Rangers or Super Sentai, but also draws from modern superhero stuff like My Hero Academia. That's kind of what they've been um, presenting as. But it's definitely uh, Kamen Rider-focused, or uh, Metal Heroes would be another thing. <laughs> um, and so this was one that caught my attention. Yeah, I was glad to see that. It's mostly for me and probably Tony. Yeah, well, I mean, it's people our age will be like, what, Beetleborgs? Yeah, Beetleborgs. Um, I think about Beetleborgs. And actually, uh, <laughs> Space Sheriff uh, Gavin is getting a Blu-ray release from... Uh, um, Disco Tech. 
Oh, so, fun. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so what is this game, right? If you don't know those words mean anything to you, what is this game? I'm going to actually stop you right there, Jesse, because you're no longer allowed to talk on this topic. Uh, Alexis, <laughs> <laughs> I want you to tell me what you think you know about Common Rider. Okay. Comedic goal. What, what, I, what am I supposed to like? Just tell me what you think from from what you know. Just like what the RPG is going to be like. Or just... Yeah. What do you think the theme is? How do you think these characters are supposed to work? From from just what you've gathered so far, don't you dare talk. I mean, I've seen some clips of Common Rider. I have too. They've been flooding my TikTok, and I I think I get sucked in because every time I watch it, I think that there's going to be some revelation. But they're going to describe to me what a common rider is, and they're a Power Ranger, right? That's what they look like, but they don't have Zords, they don't have big robots. And okay. so, Grant, you're also not allowed to talk. I'm gonna gonna silence you too. Um, so it's always frustrating to me because, well, first of all, I don't need giant robots, but there's always some weird, crazy stuff going on. But they've got like, cool belts. They do have that. That is a huge thing. These oversized belts that look like they were made by Nerf. <laughs> that somehow create this transformation sequence right. into so many. I watched one the other day where a person's either the head went off or it went inside their body like a turtle and it flipped upside down and their legs were their arms and their arms were their legs all of a sudden. The armor like switched and their heads came back out and then they just went back to fighting. I don't know what's going on. So I, I feel like, okay, for someone who. We don't we don't know these things. I also don't know Power Rangers that well. Okay. I know they're not That's Power right. Rangers, okay? Grant's over here breathing can, heavily because I call them feel Power Rangers. The energy just seething off these two. Power Rangers were evolved from Common Rider and Super okay. Sentai. That would make sense. See, I know things, Grant. There it is. Um, you read the article. No, no, I just knew that. Good job. I actually didn't read the article. Boom. I didn't prepare for this. Grant, this is why I said you're not allowed to talk right now. This is Alexa and I's portion of the podcast. <laughs> um. But okay, if you, if you want to take a Power Ranger and then like put it in Dream World, that's that's what a common rider is. Okay, you know what? <laughs> I think I've asked I think I've asked Jesse like twice to define these before. That is the best explanation I've gotten. That I approve of. Okay, I will Ooh. lift the band, I will turn the mics back on. I'm gonna be thinking about what that means Beans. for most of the day. That's like the uh, the Lewis Black, if it weren't for my horse, I wouldn't have spent that year in college. <laughs> um no, I was enjoying that a lot, and partially because I was like, I know I've rambled about these things to to Alexis a few times, so it's like let's see let's see what she can manage to uh, get out. And that was good, good job. So essentially, the idea is that it's this transformation hero kind of genre, right? Of you're a, a normal person, and then you have some transformation thing that lets you turn into your superhero form. And this particular, we're talking about Convictor Drive. Um, this game focuses on it has its own setting uh which is cool and all but you could easily turn it into your own um but the idea is that you your transformation is is powered by your strong emotions um so it's like you're you're driven by your thirst for revenge or your need to protect people i think they really centered on grief yes yes it was grief that was yeah yeah and so which is which is cool because especially for like common writer there is this sort of tragic or um horror kind of element uh the, usually the recurring theme is that... I saw one transform into what looks like a rocket ship, man. It is a man oh, yeah. and a rocket That's, ship um, fused together. Oh, no, Forza. Forza. Forza, okay. yeah. Um, so, as much as it is a goofy Saturday morning uh, kids show, like, the original Kamen Rider, the, one of the core themes of it 
was that the hero's powers come from the same source as the villains he's fighting from because uh, he was experimented on and then escaped and he was originally going to be one of these like villain of the week kind of bad guys but he got away and now he uses that power to fight them but it also could turn him into a monster is kind of the fear so if this game is successful probably we'll get another book where the company uh, as we've read in the article if, from Dicebreaker uh, you're supposed to be getting your powers from like this this group mm-hmm. could be turning against absolutely them. that's a that's a common theme uh, a common theme oh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, sweet merciful guy. and and it mentions in here things like that there's mechanics for as you complete missions in different sessions you reveal who the villain is mm-hmm. and their true identity which is a recurring theme there as well so you can definitely tell that the um, the creators have a lot of love for this genre, uh, not just the one franchise, but the overall genre. Um, it is actually from a Japanese developer, which is cool because it's 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 culturally ingrained there. I mean, it's like, you know, Marvel Comics here uh, level of ingrained. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I definitely want to check out. Uh, I, I'm hoping that we can back through through the store. It's always just easier for me for backing Kickstarters. Um, yeah, and ten, D10 system. I love yeah. D10s. D10s best die. D10s best die. So good. I can hear Jamie, like, his eyes rolling right now from getting another RPG that is not, like, Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> We're getting the Monty Python one. He's fine. Well, oh, that, I'm sure that, uh, yes. What, what's it called? There's that fear one that I... I shared. Uh, there was a body horror. Shiver. Oh yeah, the oh, body horror shiver. one. God, that art is immaculate. <gasps> family friendly. This oh, is yeah. a family friendly oh, totally. podcast. But it was uh, that was I, I saw this one that was getting advertised. And it was about like body horror and sort of a the thing stalker Cronenberg um, kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I shared it off in our our team's chat and went, hey, how many people who work here want to copy this? And then I was like, okay, Jamie, get that many, and then like six more, and I'll sell them. <laughs> I'll help you. So. Family friendly RPGs. We had some in the new hotness last week. Hey. Oh, yeah. Well, like what? That's a good segue. <laughs> oh, that's what that looks like. <laughs> it's so weird being on the other um, end of them. They're right? actually not there now, so it wasn't the best. Oh, really? Because I did see Zheng Shi was on there, and I've heard such good things about that. Uh, I don't know anything about that. Okay, so. <laughs> but we did have. Well, one in, in spiral, Lee's in spot. I can't say in the spirals. name. Inspirals, yeah. That one, I mean, I actually don't know what the story's about. It wasn't the one I was thinking of that could be family-friendly. But you use uh, sign language to do things in it. So it teaches oh, you sign language, which is really neat. But then we got other ones whose names are all failing me right now. I want to say one might be Tomb of Terror. There's three different ones. And they have, they're already, like, pre-written stories. And they're meant to be easy to sit down and play. You don't have to do a bunch of character creation. You don't have to do x y and z to finally get your game going you can basically just open the book and so it, and they're meant for like eight eight and up okay so they're great fantastic. for kids kind of like in our magical kitties yeah type of thing yeah. that we've talked about before um jing shi which is in the uh new hotness right now is actually an rpg it comes in a box though so it's a little mm-hmm. deceptive you don't really realize it until you read it but i actually learned about this quite a while back from another podcast i listened to and the idea is that you are a um some sort of Asian American. And if I get any terminology wrong, I am trying to do the best justice that I can, but I I am born and read in Illinois. I know that's not an excuse, but I'm just gonna do my best. The idea is that you are an Asian American who works at your family's restaurant, but also fight demons. All right. So you have to balance the atmosphere of keeping your family restaurant and your obligations to your family alive 
while at the same time also keeping your family obligations of fighting evil and making sure it doesn't take over the world at the same time. Yeah, the balance of, because um, it's set in the 1920s, um, mm-hmm. and it's uh, there was a lot of anti-Chinese immigrant um, sentiment and uh, both legislation and just general bigotry occurring at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's set in California. I believe that's but, correct. But um, essentially, yeah, you're by day running your store and dealing with hostilities of um, humans, and then by night, the Jiangxi, which are um, Chinese hopping vampires, uh, are attacking your restaurant, and mm-hmm. you have to fight them off. And the box set is neat because it has cards for like NPCs and for Jiangxi and uh, different things. I love boxed RPGs, um, so very. And I believe I believe that the booklet has a section on like if this is not your um, your ethnic background, like how to play it sensitively and be yes. aware of things. Mm-hmm. So. I probably need to buy that so I can read it and then talk about it better. Also, just a boxed RPG is good for shelf cohesion. Yes. <laughs> I will say that uh, I believe the character sheets are in the form of like orders, like yeah. an order oh. form. Yeah. So it's very cute. I have seen those. Yeah, I hadn't. I, I know basically what's on the box. So I, yeah. you said that you'd heard about more on podcasts. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. You so. did, but it's okay because I'm talking about cute things now, and that means we got to talk about squishables. Yeah. Crazy how cute some of these are. So first of all, we have a Christmas dragon, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. It's a green dragon. It's got uh, a Santa Claus like coat on it and reindeer it's, it's, it's and called the and festive dragon festive dragon festive because of course we are not yes that makes sense uh but the one that i am i i got the photo because in the middle of the podcast i'm like oh no i don't have a photo of the new hotness so i got anna to send one i haven't looked at it yet and i was looking at this long time with this like brown that, and white one yes that one that you can't the, see over the podcast the cinnabunny it's a yeah. cinnabunny cinnabunny yeah it is a cinnabunny in the form of a bunny and his ears have are the frosting that go around it, and it is. <sighs> I I mean, if we're gonna talk about that one, we should talk about the cat that I've sold probably three of on Friday because it has hard toe beans and they're <gasps> angled for your like thumbs to be able to squeeze them. And I literally said, "Would you like a cat?" And people are like, "Oh, I don't know if I want that." I'm like, "Toe beans," and they're like, "Sold." <laughs> See, squishables. All right, squishmallows. I'm just gonna. This is a call out. I know you're listening back off okay because i've seen you there's some copyright infringement that's definitely going yes. on uh and you are making one item these squishables people they are coming up with some creative ideas and they need recognition for it plus you get to vote on the ones you like exactly so highly recommend that um other things in the new hotness going back to our um common writer power rangers conversation we do have the blue ranger helmet mm-hmm. for mighty morphin for mighty morphin um, we have Dog Park, which I have not heard much about, but it, it seems to be out on the table. Yes, you are uh, at a dog park with your dog. <laughs> That's all I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but the, the um, tray that holds all of the resources is shaped like a dog bone, and that's really adorable. It's also oh, got that, really that nice made me meeple, happy. Like, it's, it's uh, meeples and stuff. Yeah. It's got really nice pieces. I, I know Brittany will buy it, and I will play I it with her, did. so maybe I eventually. Think she, I think she, I thought she took it home with it, her yesterday. It's I don't think so. got a little bit of a mix of, um, it's not that it plays exactly like Parks or Wingspan, but it has those vibes. The art is very reminiscent of Wingspan. Mm. Um, the play style with going along the, uh, the trail as you walk dogs and gathering resources to make those dogs happy. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it looks really neat. So I've tried to wait the patiently amount of time, but... Um... <laughs> Call to Adventure Epic Origins mm-hmm. is on the new hotness. Do we have many copies of that? Because um, I don't 
No. I don't think right, there's very so many. No. There's a handful. Oh, the no. Kickstarter okay. though, which we didn't we didn't get. This isn't me saying yes. I got it. I'm sorry. Was massive. Like it did really well. No, well probably, but like the amount of stuff that people got. But it's is yeah. It it took up a whole table, and it comes with a folded space. So for all of you, that I've talked about Call to Avenger. I think before in the podcast, it's one of my favorite games. It's a narratively based game where you basically are creating your own story. And it very much felt like, oh, I'm creating, like, a, an RPG character, like, that's already lived his life. Well, with the Epic Origins uh, new edition, you can actually take your characters and then port them over to other RPG systems. I believe at least 5e, if not more. So you can build a character and then take him into the game as an NPC or as a character that you play as. Which I love that concept so much. It, it made so much fluid sense. Um, Flamecraft. Flamecraft. Is Flamecraft back in there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, there it is. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's sideways. I'm gonna face it out. But um, so I haven't played this yet. I've bought it. Like you you played it? I have. Two or okay. three people at the shop have bought it. I've heard nothing but good things. It looks. Yeah. Cute. No. It's so it, everybody. Everybody wants it. We have some of the deluxe in stock and some of the retail versions. So if you don't want to pay the eighty dollar price tag for the extra pieces, you can pay forty for the regular. But if John has played it, I will let him talk about it more. I will say that it is an excellent mid-tier game. If you've got people that like more advanced games than Sorry, uh, but aren't exactly wanting to play, you know, Gloomhaven with you, uh, this is perfect. Uh, there is not there's some differing mechanics, but it's not that every dragon you play has a different mechanic. Uh, all of the dragons kind of are each card is in an individual dragon with its own name. Looks adorable, but it has abilities that are common amongst its like kind of its race. Mm -hmm. So all the gem dragons do all the same thing. All of the fire dragons do all the same thing. So it's not like you have a, an overabundance or an overload of different things that you can be doing. It's the shops that you build along the way that have these special abilities that are really game changers. And you have enough shops where you're always going to have some variety. And it play it's got a one player mode, doesn't it? It yeah. does and it does have a solo. Yeah, that's I always like a game that's got a good one player thing cuz it always changes how you how you enjoy it. Now, the deluxe version does have uh, these beautiful minis of dragons, but I will say if you just want to get the basic version, the little tokens are all screen printed. Mm. They are nice. They are great. I highly suggest them. Um, but that's only if you come into the store and buy them. And so what might be some good incentives this week to have people come in and buy uh, come into the store? Um, that sounds like an event segue. That is. Um, well so <laughs> I feel like I feel like Jesse wanted to talk about something in the new hotness. I just wanted to mention it's it's in the new hotness because it's not exactly new, but it's finally back in print um, because it was originally published by GMT, not D GMT, GTA. TMG, Tasty Minstrel Games. Oh, yeah. They went under. Renegade rescued it. Crusaders, oh, which yeah. I mentioned briefly earlier, Crusaders that will be done. Um, this is a game that I learned earlier this year, and I have been playing it frequently. Mm. Uh, it is themed around. Uh, being an order of crusading knights uh, during a sort of mishmash of the varying crusade eras. Um, and ostensibly, of course, that means you're escorting uh, religious pilgrims to Holy Land. However, the Middle East is not even on the map because you're doing what crusaders actually did, which is putz around in Europe and fight Slavs and um, Prussians and uh, Saracens, if you get far enough. <laughs> Grant was Grant, Grant's cueing me to, to he's doing a visual cue yeah. on a podcast. Grant's cueing me for sure something why. I'm not going to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for, 
there's <laughs> anyway. Um, so what you're doing is you're setting up, uh, you're building buildings, you're doing setting up different kinds of influence um, structures, uh, and it uses this action system where you have a little circle made up of wedges that are different actions, and you have tokens, and when you pick up the tokens on that action, that's how many points you have to spend on doing that. Mm. And then you distribute them in a circle, like a Moncala kind of thing. Huh. And so um, it has a, you have a lot of control over what you're going to be able to set yourself up to do, but then obviously have to also play into how, what, you're, what the other players do. So it's an indirect competition kind of game, good variable setup, um, very straightforward and, and uh, easy to pick up, I would say, for I thought it was going to be a much more complex game mechanically than it is but it's very rich in terms of replayability mm. and uh so yeah mm. um very excited to see that actually back in print as for events at the store we have a calendar at redreckoncamps.net i can't think of what we have special going on this week um today is our first pokemon tournament mm -hmm. um so this will be after this will have already happened by the time you hear this but Going forward, so we have a Pokemon Open Play on the first and third Sundays of the month from 1 to 3. And we are going to now have on the second and fourth Sundays from 1 to 4-ish a three-round standard tournament. Um, entry is uh, $11. Uh, if you have a coupon for that $5 off for the table fee, it's only 6 Everyone who participates gets two packs of... Uh, um, either the most current set, or if we don't have those available, we might mix up and do different sets, but everyone gets two packs for participating. It's not a very competitive um, environment, but the idea is if people want to kind of go to the next step of structure a play, like open play is casual, very friendly. If you don't know the rules yet, you'll learn them. And then this is going to be okay. Everybody understands the rules at the front. You can kind of get used to a three-round uh, three structure, uh, which itself is something that takes a little bit of experience to kind of get used to playing in. And then we'll have more competitive events that we do on like a monthly basis as time goes on. So, And with that, our episode comes to a close. I'd like to thank the staff members that joined me today. And if you want a chance to talk about your tabletop with them, come and find them at Red Raccoon Games, located in downtown Bloomington, Illinois, which has a wide range of models that you can put together, including some common Rider figurines from our previous conversations. Mm -hmm. But yep. if you like giant robots and you like creating them it is a fun uh very zen thing to do at yeah. times uh is to get one of these model kits where it's just simple enough where you can just take things off of the spoke put them together and create something that's really cool um and we have varieties from giant robots to pokemon to common rider to mega man uh transformers we, transformers we have a bunch of transformers maybe some digimon there's, there's two digimon ones up there right now yeah so definitely come in and if you just want to find some way to like build something especially with the winter coming in you need more indoor activities uh it's fantastic i want to thank jillian mesner for the use of our theme music and feel free to tell us how we're doing by leaving a comment in the podcast app of your choice or come right to the source by emailing us at info at redraccoongames.com uh, if you throw the word podcast into the subject line, we'll do our best to give you a shout out on the show. But until next time, keep playing. Bye. Bye. Bye.